some of you might not have this trouble, but many times I wake up, well, that's not the trouble, but waking up can be trouble. Many times I wake up and I look in that mirror and I say this, how can God love me? I seem to myself to be one of the most unlovable creatures. Don't ask my wife, but after 26 years, I'm thankful she has stood with me. Jonah chapter 3 this morning, if you would. Jonah chapter 3, but I'm thankful that the Lord loves me. I'm thankful that he died for me this morning. May we never get over Calvary. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 3, if you find your place and you're able, would you stand? I'd like to read a few verses and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Jonah chapter 3. <clears throat> Even though we preached through 1, 2, 3, and 4 last week, I want to go ahead and read it just to get us back in the frame of mind of the chapter that we're in. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise. Go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. He cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. whole purpose of the book of Jonah is found in those few verses right there. Coach, would you ask the Lord's blessing in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated here. Back in chapter 1, you know about Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 begins with a call of God on a preacher, but that call of God turns into a preacher's rebellion. That preacher's rebellion then turns into a preacher that is running the wrong way, running away from what God wants him to do. Of course, the preacher's rebellion turns into, if you Look over there in chapter 1 sometime. He had to pay the fare. It turns into the preacher's payment. And you know, when you go the wrong way, there's always a price to pay. When you go the opposite way that God wants you to go, there's always a price to pay. The old preacher said sin will cost you more than you want to pay. 
The preacher's payment then turned into the preacher's storm. You know about the storm, you know, that the men tried to get the boat to safety and it just wasn't happening because that storm was a, of God, but it was caused by a preacher, and that's the preacher's storm. And then, of course, <laughs> the preacher's punishment came. He got all swallowed up by the whale. Chapter 2 breaks out, and of course, chapter 2 begins with the preacher's prayer. And in that preacher's prayer, it's the preacher's repentance. And the preacher's repenting, and in his prayer, his fellowship is restored. And of course, the preacher's puked out on the dry land, 263 miles approximately from where he's supposed to be. So as we come to chapter 3, last week we preached about how God is a God of second chances. And as your preacher, I'm a witness of history that God gives a man at least two chances, if not 2,000 plus that. Thankful that God's a God of second chances. Jonah is given another chance. When Jonah gets right, gets his fellowship restored, and he gets his act together, he looks a little different, no doubt, but he's given the commission to go preach again. The preacher's commission now we have the preacher's obedience, the preacher's power, and of course we pick up the preacher's preaching in verse 4 of chapter 3. And we pick up the powerful preaching of Jonah with God Almightily making up for Jonah's lost time. And I don't want to tell you, I want to show, show you this in verse 4. The Bible says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So here as we begin to preach the Word of God here where we left off from last week, it has finally gone forth out of a mouth of an obedient preacher and he's preaching to a very disobedient people. And I don't know about you, I don't know how you think, I mean I know how I think when I do think. I want to be a preacher that obeys God. I want to be a Christian that obeys God. I want to be a father that obeys God. I want to be a husband that obeys God. I want to be a Christian that obeys God. I would much rather have the power of God on my life because I was obedient than have to learn continually and every single day from the rod of God. I'd rather just obey God. We find here in Jonah that they're just so much better off to obey. But Jonah, you know the story got swallowed up by the whale. He has to get right. He has to repent. That is a problem with Christians these days. A lot of Christians get swallowed up with tough times, hard times, and difficult times, and all kinds of things, and getting them down, down in the dumps, and down in the mouth, and down wherever they're at, because in Jonah chapter 1, that whole thing is down, 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 down. Then they get to that place where they're out of fellowship with God, and they don't do any repenting. They don't do any getting right. They don't check their heart. They don't do the things that they know that they should do to restore their relationship with God Almighty. So therefore, they can't do what God wants them to do. They can't have peace continually in their life because they just won't do what God wants. Well, that seems to be the tenor of the book of Jonah so far. And I would just rather be obedient. Why? Because we see the power of God when you're obedient. I want to ask you this question before we get into the message this morning. Did you have the power of God this week in your life? 
I'm not talking about some charismaniacal thing that, you know, Ashtalashandai and untie a bow tie and God gave me a million dollars this week. If you did come see me, we'll go out to dinner, amen, of course, in your charge. But <clears throat> I'm not talking about that stuff and I'm not asking you, did everything go your way this week? And I'm not necessarily asking, did you have enough money? To, I'm saying, did you have the power of God in your life when you talk to people? Could you feel His presence? Could you feel His breath upon you when you met with Him in prayer? Was He right there beside you or did He seem distant? When you read your Bible, was it like it was brand new, like you'd never seen it before? I want to be an obedient preacher and have the power of God and so constantly having to deal with the punishments of the preacher, the storms of the preacher. Look, I understand you can have a storm and not be out of the will of God. Preacher says it, preacher preach it, the Bible declares it. You're either in a storm right now. You're either coming out of a storm or you're going into one. So let me say this, if it's smooth sailing, you better thank God for it right now because your days are coming. <laughs> But as we come to this part in the scripture, I believe the Holy Spirit, He pans the camera lens of the Bible away from Jonah, the backslidden now restored to fellowship preacher, and He, he takes that camera lens and He zooms in on a special individual. The reason I believe the book of Jonah was written for, He's only given about five verses of scripture totally, where the entire rest of the book of Jonah is about just a bad attitude Baptist. You know, Jonah's got more trouble than any person I've ever met in my life, it seems like. I guess that's why I can relate. But if you look at verse 5 with me this morning, I want you to see what happens when a man obeys God. You see, when you obey God, then the Word of God can then go where it's been intending to go. I don't know if that made any sense, but when you obey God this morning, that's when the Word of God can reach who it's intended to reach. Here in verse 5, I want you to see the Bible says, For the Word came unto the king of Nineveh. I want you to think just for a second before we actually try to preach this morning. I want you to think for a second where you were when the Word came to you. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Word of God had to come through an obedient mouth. You did not get saved on your own. The Word of God had to come through a Jonah, whether he got swallowed up by a whale or not, amen? The Word of God had to come through a preacher, whether it was a pastor or whether it was a gal, right? The Word of God had to come through an obedient Christian. Think about where you were when you received the Word of God this morning. I received the word of God from the mouth not only of a preacher at that time that stood behind this very old pulpit that preached about heaven so sweet and hell so hot. But then it came and it was verified and it was backed up by my mother who told me about Jesus. That was an obedient Christian. I want you to think just for a second where you were when the word of God came to you. Now, now stop and think transversely. Where are you now when God's trying to use you? Are you going the wrong way? Are you trying to be in the place where you restore your fellowship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you're at the bottom of the whale's belly somewhere. Or maybe you finally, you know what, you've dusted yourself off. God's given you a second chance 
And now you're just doing everything you can to make up for lost time. But here I want you to see in verse 5 who the Word of God was intended for. Bible says in verse 5, for the Word, is that 5 or 6? 6, I'm sorry. For the Word came of the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. I want you to see when the Word of God comes to who it's intended for, I want you to see what happens just for a minute. Not much of a message this morning, just some thoughts that I want you to really focus on. First of all, when the Word of God comes to where it's supposed to come, I want you to see, number one, that the king, he abandons his throne. He abandons his throne. The Bible said, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. I don't know if you can see the, the, the stark the reality here. That king gets off his throne. If you're a monarch, there's nothing more higher than the throne. That throne is a place of power. It's a place of position. Oftentimes it's given to you because of your royal lineage. And I'm saying that when the word of God comes to who it's intended for, here we see that king. He abandons the throne. Can I say it like this? He abdicates his own throne. He abandons the throne. He gets off the thing that means everything in the world to him. His power, his prestige, and his personality is tied to that throne. I'm reminded that when Absalom sowed anarchy in Israel, David did the same thing. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 14, the Bible shows us how David when. Uh, Absalom decided to raise a coup and take over in Israel. You know what David did? He said, see you boys, I'm out of here. And I've often read that passage and go, what was he thinking? David was strong enough. David had the mighty men later on. You find about those mighty men. I mean, he could have whooped his own son. Remember my dad telling me many times, he said, son, there'll come a time when you're stronger than me. He said, you might be a lot stronger. He says, but you'll never be meaner than me. <laughs> I never understood what he meant until I had a few boys. And I tell him the exact same thing. You might be stronger, but I'm meaner. And you fall asleep quicker. <laughs> but David does the same thing. And when the word has free course, can I say this morning, men will abandon their throne. The king gets off his throne and he realizes, you know, he realizes that there is one greater than him on the throne. Bible says the word came into the king. I've often thought how it got there. Did it come right from Jonah's mouth? Maybe it did. Did Jonah literally get fast forwarded right up to the court of the king? And all of a sudden the king's, I don't know, eating grapes and getting fanned by all the Ninevite gals there or whatever, you know, or you know, housewives in Nineveh or something like that, and he's eating grapes and figs and, you know, drinking an RC coal and eating a moon pie or something like that, and all of a sudden he hears this, 40 days! 40 days! And the king's probably going, what in the world? 40 days? 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown! You remember hearing the gospel for the first time? You remember hearing the word of God pierce your naked soul? 
and all of a sudden it came and brought you to the grips of reality that if you do, didn't do something with that news that you were told and you didn't do something with that gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that something really bad was going to happen. I don't know about you, but I know something about kings. They're not stupid. Kings are not stupid. Not in the Bible, they're not. I didn't say all rulers were smart. But I bet you that king of Nineveh knew something about the number 40. And I bet you that king got thinking, hold on a second. Who in the world would dare come to my front doorstep and tell me about getting overthrown? Don't they know that this is the capital of the Assyrian Empire? Who do they think they are? Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days. Man, what in the, why forty? What, what's going on? And then all of a sudden he says, you know, I remember my grandma telling me a long, long time ago about this worldwide flood happening and how it rained for forty days and forty nights. Forty days and then it shall be overthrown. You know, I've been hearing a lot about 40 lately. You know, I just turned 40. Wishful thinking right now. And I bet you that king was right at the place God knew he would be. And he heard that thing. And that king says, okay, there's someone greater than me. And he sent a messenger to get me off my throne. I'm telling you, when the Word of God has free course and it can go out from this pulpit and it can go out from that Bible, I'm telling you what, kings get off the throne. They realize there's one mightier than themselves and he gets off the throne. But not only that, he abandons his throne. I want you to see this. The king abandons his comfort. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. Ain't that something? He abandons his comfort. He abandons his throne. He abandons his comfort. He takes off that very regal robe that he has. I guarantee you nobody had a robe like that in the whole kingdom. That's everything that was meant to the king was wrapped up in that robe. Everything who he was 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 in the throne room and was in that robe, was in that crown. And he gets off that throne and he abandons the throne. He realizes there's someone greater in the throne room than him. And he realizes that he's present because he had the guts to send a messenger. Aren't you thankful for the messenger God sent you? Aren't you thankful that you were smart enough and God gave you enough brains to realize that you are lost and without Christ one day and you're on your way to hell and you heard that 40 days and you're going to be overthrown without Jesus Christ, you'll burn in hell forever. And you said, okay, I'm off the throne. Come on, Lord, come on in. I think about the scriptures and how it disgusted Peter in John chapter 13 and verse 6. Remember when Peter, uh, when Jesus shows up and he starts to wash the disciples' feet? And Peter's like, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? You're a commercial fisherman. You're probably pretty smelly feet. 
And well, you know why it disgusted Peter, I believe? I believe it disgusted Peter because the thought of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, at Peter's feet, I believe that bothered him. It disgusted him. I think of another person in the Bible, Mary. She really enjoyed being at the feet of Jesus. Martha, not so much. Martha's like a lot of Baptists. You got to have someone to make the biscuits. You got to have someone to make the dinner. Amen. But as far as sitting at the feet of Jesus, probably not in the cards. Maybe, maybe not. You see, within the heart of every Christian, even after you're saved, there's a throne room of your will. And either today, Jesus Christ is sitting on the very throne of your will, and you're at His feet, or you're on that throne room of your own will, and Jesus Christ has to sit at your own feet. I wonder how it is this morning. Are you at His feet, or is He at your feet? A lot of Christians like to think of the Lord as sitting at your feet, kind of like a genie in the bottle. Lord, help me out, please. Lord, I'm in a real bind. Going to rub that genie lamp. Yeah. And treat the Lord like an errand boy. But not this king. This king gets off the throne. He abandons his throne. He abandons his comfort. He laid aside his robe. Not only that, can I tell you that he laid aside his robe and this abandonment, he laid aside his robe for sackcloth and satin ashes. He abandons his comfort. The king abandons his comfort. He abandons his appetites. Look in verse 7. The Bible says in verse 7, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. He's abandoning some things. He's running away from some things. He abandons the throne. He abandons his comfort. He abandons his appetite. But I want you to see how this abandonment at his level produces a great enablement. You see, as a Christian, if you're going to do something for Jesus Christ today, you're going to have to abandon some things before some things are ever able to happen. And what I see here is because this king, he abandons the throne. He abandons his comfort. He abandons his appetites. It enables a number of things here to happen. Can I show you this here? Number one, the king enables publishing and proclamation. Look at verse 7. The Bible says that he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king. You see that word publish in verse 7? It has to do with the written word of a king. You know, when the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Can I show you this? I believe spiritually you finally enable Bible reading. When you abandon the right things, you finally enable Bible reading. You can't enable Bible reading unless you abandon some things, Christians. Matter of fact, your life is so busy and is so tore up and is so weighted down with certain things that you can't read your Bible the way that you should. You can't read enough Scripture to give you light like you need in your life. The Bible says, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. The reason why you don't have enough light in your Christian life and you don't have the understanding that God already has designed you to have 
is because you don't read that book the way you should. But you have to abandon some things first. You have to abandon the throne. Maybe abandon some comforts. Maybe abandon some appetites. Well, this great abandonment, it produces publishing, proclamation. You see the word proclaim there in verse 7. That has to do with the spoken word of the king. And there's a great enabling of preaching in the land of Nineveh. Let me say this, you cannot enable preaching until you abandon some things. Let me tell you why the church house has all but become like the American Indian. Yeah, I said it, and I'm not going to repent either. Almost non-existent. Why? We're too busy on our thrones. We're too busy with the comforts of this life. We're too busy serving our appetites that we would rather do. You will never enable preaching until you take care of the throne until you take care of your comforts, until you abandon some of your appetites. I'm trying to help you this morning, showing you a spiritual truth through a practical application of Jonah chapter 3. You see the word proclaim there. I want you to see this. Do you know one of the first things that Jesus did in His earthly ministry? One of the first things, and you find it in Matthew chapter 4, you realize that Jesus Christ left His throne. He left all of his comforts, he left all of his appetites, he left the splendor of heaven. And you know the first things he did after he suffered in the wilderness? He began to preach. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, the king enables publishing and proclamation. Number two, the king enables a mighty cry unto God. That's verse 8. Bible says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. You know what I see here? Here is where your prayer life is finally restored. You can't pray, Christian. You cannot pray unless you learn to abandon some things. There are some things that are just keeping you from prayer, aren't there? One of the things I know why prayer is so important is because it's so hard to do. Things that are right are so difficult to do. But you know what? The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. You know what the Bible says? For this is a reasonable service. Why is prayer so hard? Why is reading my Bible so hard? Why is fellowship with my Lord and Savior so hard? Maybe just because you won't abandon the right things. You're just hanging on to them. You're hearing the message. Forty days! Nineveh shall be overthrown! Well, we'll come back next week and hear it. I wonder what he's going to shout about next week. I wonder what he's going to spit about. Wonder if he'll fall next week. Let me show you this one. Not only is the king enable a mighty cry because he abandons the right things, but notice this here in verse eight: the king enables a great turning. He enables a great turning. Verse eight says, "Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands." I want you to see there is the result of repentance. A great turning. 
Can I say this? You'll never be able to repent and to turn unless you abandon some things this morning. Now notice in your Bible, when you abandon the things that mean the most to you, when you abandon your comfort, when you abandon your appetites, when you turn from your way of doing things and you put the results in the hands of God and you give the outcome to Him, I want you to see what happens. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? Look at verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them and he did it not. Say, so what are you saying this morning, preacher? I'm saying this. When you repent, when you change your mind about your sin, God repents and God changes his mind about your punishment. If you're willing to change your mind about how you live, God's willing to change his mind about what he's going to do about how you're living. And I'm telling you, that's still the truth today. Listen, the grace of God is not a clean glove just to throw on a dirty hand. If you're here today and the message is going in the right place, there's some things you need to abandon. There's some room that you need to make. If you're willing to repent, if you're willing to change your mind, that's what that word repent means about your life, your sin, then God changes His mind. You see, in verses 5 to 9, the people repent. And in verse 10, God repents. But you got to do the repenting first. You can't expect to just go on living your way and God just, oh, well, you know, I'm just the old grandpa in the sky. And, you know, it's just, it's okay. I know you're living like hell, but I'll just go ahead and bless you. It don't work like that. You might go to heaven, amen, if you're saved. That's a fact. A tough time at the judgment seat. Now listen, I'm saying this. When you turn to God, God turns towards you. I'll say it again. When you turn to God, God turns towards you. Look at the king turns first in 5 and 6. The people have turned by verse 10. You see that? And so then what happens in verse 10? God turns. And he doesn't execute the evil he intended to upon him. Let's read verse 10 again. And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Here's the message, and I'm done. Don't miss it. Here's the message. You ready? What's it going to take to get you off your throne? That's the message. I'm not getting after you for church attendance. I'm not getting after you for not getting the scripture out. But the message is this, what's it going to take to get you off your throne? Jonah went, finally. Thank you, Jonah. Praise the Lord. He preaches. And that king goes, okay, there's someone greater in the house than me. I'm getting off the throne. And he abandons some things. And then finally, because he abandons the right things, it becomes a great enabler for the right things. The people change, the king changes, and the Lord spares the people. As Elizabeth comes to play this morning, I want to invite you to get off your throne and come to this altar and change your mind about sin. 
Change your mind about how you live your day-to-day life. Change your mind about what is really important. I'd like to invite you to come off your throne and change your mind about what you should be doing for Jesus Christ right now. You come. You come right now. Abandon your throne. Abandon your comfort. Abandon your appetites. Why? For it is time to seek the Lord. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? What's it going to take to get you off the throne this morning? If the Lord's speaking to you, why not come speak to Him? The Bible says in the book of James in chapter 4 verse 8, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. What will it take to get you off the throne?